This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 74, coming your way. We will discuss the Nats being no hit. We will talk about the futures of Dave Martinez and Mike Rizzo. And we'll get you an update from the minor league system, as we like to do. And there's a lot to talk about on the minor league system because a couple of the top guys that the Nats have in the minors have been hitting for power this week. All coming up on BLB, episode 74, starts right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. It is Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 74. Producer Darius Stammer making it sound good. Toby Altizer alongside. I'm Grant Paulson. Toby, I'm not going to use my good mic today. It's in my basement. And I got some people working in my basement this week, and they literally, I've never seen this, they like sealed my basement door so that they can do the stuff that they want to do down there and told me not to go down there until they're done. So here we are. I'm going to just talk into my laptop and hope that that works. It doesn't sound too bad, so hopefully it doesn't sound bad on your end listening on the podcast, but we're going to make it work. We're always uh, battling through things here on Busting Loose. Call us Josiah Gray. We don't have our best stuff every time out, but we are going to become all-stars one way or the other. Uh, before we get into Davey and Rizzo and their futures, which I did tease that we wanted to do and will be the meat of this pod probably, uh, the Nats got no hit. This is being recorded while we watch Nats Phillies on Thursday night, so they got no hit last night. They actually had the longest streak of any team in baseball almost 4,000 games without being no hit before last evening. Uh, they had not been no hit as the Nationals. you got to go back to 1999 when they were not only the Expos, but still five years away from not being the Expos at that point. Um, all good things come to an end. I mean, that was bound to happen at some point. What do you make of 124 pitch, no hitter with four walks for Michael Lorenzen? They barreled some balls late in the game. They had Last couple innings, three balls with uh, chances to fall in over 50% in terms of expected batting average, and it just wasn't to be. Yeah, it was a funky thing, Grant, because, you know, obviously it's the Philadelphia Phillies, so we don't like to see anything good happen for that franchise, especially against the Nationals. But it's Michael Lorenzen. It wasn't Zach Wheeler or Aaron Nola, so it's a guy that just got there, so... I've always been a fan of Michael Lorenzen going back to his days where he was trying to be a two-way player with the Reds and all these things. So I don't hate it. It's an odd thing, though. Like you mentioned, I even heard Lorenzen in the clubhouse afterwards, him and you know Rob Thompson addressing the entire clubhouse and celebrating the occasion. And he's like, man, I'm just glad that the hard hit balls all went to center field. Like the Nationals got some hard contact off of them. They got on base some with some walks. So 
like overall, it wasn't the worst performance you've ever seen out of the Nationals. It just sometimes you run into some hard luck. And unfortunately for the Nationals, none of the hard hit balls ended up in base hits. And the walks don't really matter when you don't get a hit because it's still a no hitter. So it's unfortunate. But Grant, honestly, you know, I've been you know a fan of this team my entire life, basically being not that old when they returned back to D.C., and I always thought that whenever my team got no hit, I was going to be devastated. And I wasn't like it. Maybe it's because of the time we're in as Nationals fans. I was going to say, don't you think that's because because I felt the same way. I've always kind of thought, oh, my God, when the Nats get no hit, I'm going to be so embarrassed and mortified mm -hmm. and it's just going to feel awful. And I won't want to show my head for a few days. I just didn't feel that way. Like I was watching it happen and I'm kind of tracking it. And I'm going, okay, three more outs. And I kind of come to, to terms with it a little bit, but don't you think it's because, and this is not to say like anyone who listens to this pod, I don't, I don't need to tell them this. Uh, you and I live and die with this team and love this team, but like the results do matter way less. I, I don't take yeah. losses the same way. I don't take strikeouts the same way, right? This is such a bigger, longer view thing that like a no-hitter maybe in the heat of a playoff race back in 19 or something would have been crippling and just uh, absolutely terrible. And it, it just didn't feel that way. It was kind of like a, all right, whatever, we'll see what happens tomorrow kind of vibe. Yeah, I think that's kind of you know the vibe of this season where wins and losses aren't that big of a deal. It just so happens that the loss came with no hits. Like I think that's if it would have been something like 19 or one of the years that they were competing basically from 2012 up to 2019, then maybe you feel a little bit differently, but it honestly didn't bother me that much. And I think maybe if it were a perfect game where nobody got on base and maybe there weren't any hard hit balls and there weren't any positives to take away from it, then maybe you could look at it that way. But, you know, I thought that they put together some decent at bats. It's not as if, Lorenzen got through it like didn't Valdez throw less than a hundred pitches to get his no hitter or whatever something like that so they made him work it's just obviously none of the hard hit balls fell in so I thought I would be devastated I honestly probably would say I wouldn't say that I didn't care I'd say I felt more indifferent to, to it but it's an odd spot to be at to try and break down the Nationals and pull positives from getting no hit <laughs> yeah, really I, we don't even need to pull positives i mean they <laughs> you know to you're right i mean the 124 pitches for nine innings is indicative of a pitcher having to grind so that's good and four walks means they had base runners whatever but i mean the bottom line is you go nine innings 27 outs you don't get a hit you lose and that that is embarrassing well, so and maybe yeah. some of it grant is the other side where Mackenzie gore has struggled badly against the phillies and so for me personally, it was something where he struggled early. You saw that it wasn't going to be a good outing for him. He got pulled early. And it was one of those things where you're like, all right, well, that was my whole reason for, you know, well, actually, really tuning in. You know, now that you brought that up, I mean, I was way more, if you want to talk about even after the game, I was way more bothered and annoyed that Mackenzie Gore, who pitches every five days, I have to wait four days at a time to see him throw again. And now we'll talk about this later in the pod. They're going to a six man rotation. But, I'm going to have to wait, you know, five more days and then see him on the sixth day. Right. And you only get one of these a week, basically you wait. And, and if you're like me and you with Gore and you have high hopes and you really think this dude's going to be the real deal. And, and I think that he is, it sucks when he has the bad outing like that. So that was, that drew more of my ire than being no, it. I was more yeah. focused on that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was, where it was bad early on, so you'd almost checked out, and it just so happens that, oh, yeah, by the way, Lorenzen just continues to hold this no-hitter, and the Nationals haven't found a way to get a hit. So, you know, it's it sucks, but I'm not nearly as bothered by it as I thought I would be. Uh, all right, so let's talk Davey and Mike Rizzo's futures here. We teased this on the last pod. I did have some people reach out to me on social and just kind of say, hey, I do want to hear that conversation or – you know, when is that going to be? Um, so so let's make sure we pay that off. So I guess the, the best way to have this conversation first is you are the owner of the Nats, Toby. Congratulations. You own the Nationals. You are Appreciate a member it. of the Lerner family. Um, what is your level of interest in bringing back Rizzo as your GM slash president and Davey as your manager? And I want you first to quantify it as low, medium, or high before we kind of go into the conversation. Uh, do you want combined or you want individual? So each one individually. I would say with Rizzo pretty high because I like what he's done with this rebuild. You know, I think there's a, a case to be made if you're not in the Rizzo camp, that if he doesn't make that Soto trade, that maybe you could say you'd like to move on from Rizzo. But I'd like to see him kind of see this thing out now that he's made the Soto trade and you can see some of these guys in the organization. So I think it'd be high with him. With Davey... Man, it's so tough because Davey's such a likable guy, but I almost have to go with low just because of the fact that I think that Davey is good in one of two ways. I think he's been good when 2019 where I don't mean this to take away the role that he played, but it seems like he can manage a ball club that for a lot of ways can manage itself. Now, credit to him to, for how he managed the pitching staff in the postseason. You know, that was spectacular the way he worked the starters. But for the most part, you kind of knew what was going to happen. Scherzer is going to walk out there. You give him the ball every fifth day. He's going to give you seven innings. Strauss was doing the same thing. Corbin was spectacular that year. So it wasn't as if Davey had to take a mediocre ball club and elevate their play. I think his big thing was keeping them encouraged while they struggled. And then I think he's good in this kind of ball club where they're not very good. And he can keep them battling every single day and the decisions aren't going to be as scrutinized as much. Cause like we talked about with the bullpen earlier this season, I mean, which guy are you going to turn to? You might turn to one guy and it blows up, but if you turn to the other guy, my same results probably happen. So I think he's good in that. So I would be, I don't like the idea of having a manager that I don't feel like elevates the play of the ball club. He's a great guy, great clubhouse guy, but his in-game managerial decisions are still very suspect. So I would say low on Davey. So I'll go back to Rizzo first. Very high. Um, I understand that there are major knocks and questions about the track record in the draft and in player development over the last bunch of years. But in the same way, uh, not to go outside of the Nats here, when ownership changes a lot of the time or, or um you know, in, in other cases, like I'm thinking of the commanders in football where ownership basically came in and Jason Wright, their team president, is getting another chance. Like, let's see how you do it now. The Nats are ideally, hopefully, going to be owned by someone else. And I think when they invest properly in the things that they need to and should have been for years, I think you'll see that their player development uh, track record improves substantially, that their draft track record improves substantially. I think they've been fighting in some ways with one arm behind their back. And, and if Rizzo really is anti-using 
the technology and the enhancements and the things that these other organizations have tapped into well before the Nats and studying the biomechanics and all these things that teams spend millions and millions on that the Nats either still don't or have been slow to come around on or just a few years into and some teams are 10 years into it. Now that's a problem and that's fireable and that means you got to go in a different direction. But I've never gotten the sense that Mike Rizzo doesn't want to do those things. I don't think he's a scout who hates analytics or hates um, like newfangled information and tech. I think everything gets a seat at the table with him. I really have always, and, and this is, you know, this is where people can disagree with me and that's fine. This is my own opinion. I would say it's, it's speculation, but it's informed speculation, which is different than just speculation. Um, I do think for a long time they've had plans and asks and wanted things that they haven't always been able to get from this ownership. I think that that has affected some areas of the ball club. It won't be any different with somebody else. It could actually be worse. If you just go get an analytics person, but then you don't spend on the things that you need to do analytically and otherwise, and you lose some of the scouting in the eyes of Rizzo and his staff, it could actually be a little bit worse. Uh, I don't know. What I do know is, I, I was in Rizzo's, uh, I wrote a story for The Athletic several years ago. If you're an Athletic subscriber, you can find it. It's uh, I got to write for a long time in a lot of different places, and it's still probably my favorite story I've ever written. But I went and watched a game in Rizzo's suite uh, with him and his staff as a fly on the wall. And I just kind of sat there and took notes and, and wrote a story about my experience. And what I noticed that night at the time um, uh, Bob Boone was still in the organization. It was actually the night, if you remember the game when Max pitched against the Phillies with the black eye after he had like broken his nose, that was the game out. It was the second game of a doubleheader. And I was in the box watching that game with him that night. And uh, Bob Boone was like one of the oldest old school, like guys you'll ever find in baseball sat right next to Rizzo as an assistant GM. And they were comparing, you know, what do you, who's his release, uh, delivery release remind you of, and they're talking about stuff from the sixties and seventies. And, but then there was a, a three guys behind him all on their laptops, you know, with their uh, analytics department, R and D guys. And Rizzo would spin around in his chair. What was the catch, you know, percentage on that? Did, you know, what percentage of the time does that ball get caught that Robles didn't get to or whatever. And it was just indicative of, to me that night of, this is a guy who does enjoy the scouting element and wants to talk to Bob Boone and guys like that, but he is going to turn around and ask for the numbers guys too. And I do think long story short that, that he is interested in kind of bringing it all together, which means this can work in 2023 and beyond to your point as well, more succinctly. I mean, the way the rebuild has gone, which is a smashing success to my point based almost exclusively on, but not solely on the Soto deal. I just think he's he's deserving of that opportunity, and and I would work hard to keep him around. He may want to go elsewhere. You know, I, I can tell you this. I don't know. I don't think this was out here at any point, but I may have mentioned it on a pod. I know for a fact that someone told me that the Angels came to Rizzo a few years ago, and he considered leaving at that time and opted not to, not long after the World Series. I wonder right now, not being able to spend any money in free agency with the you know, the, the checkbook restricted and ownership not really helping you. Is this still a place where he wants to be when he's a free agent? Does he have, you know, will he have other options? I would imagine he would. So that's going to be interesting as well. But I would work hard to bring him back to answer the question. Well, Davey, one thing real quick. More off interesting. Of but yeah, keep going. One thing off of that, Grant. I watched Moneyball today again because I keep seeing clips pop up on my TikTok. 
And one thing that you could bring up is, you know, Billy Bean was a guy that could have gone somewhere else. They show that at the end of the movie, he gets offered a bunch of money from the Red Sox, but he never had won the World Series. If Rizzo decided he wanted to go somewhere else, he's won a World Series as an executive of the Nationals. So he could, you know, chalk that up if you wanted to just go somewhere else. He could. Yeah. He finished the job. You've won there, no doubt. Finished the fight. He did that. Um, the one thing about him, and you could say this about almost everyone in every job in baseball, but I mean, his family is pretty set up in DC at this point, right? They live in the city. He's got a new baby. He's married and all of that happened here. But I, I want to say he's the second longest GM in major league baseball in terms of tenure right now behind Brian Cashman. Uh, I know the top three, I believe are Cashman, him and Rick Hahn. And I'm not sure if he's two or three, but pretty sure he's like number two, number three on that list. So, it has been a long run and a very successful run. If you look at division titles and postseason appearances, obviously the last few years have been a disaster. But I would say that while, yes, you have to, you know, he would take blame. I'm sure you have to blame the fact that their system was barren and that their drafts have been horrendous. And, and he's got to answer to that in some capacity uh, more than anybody else does. Again, I, I, I just wonder, I, I don't know how much different it would have and could have been with other people running the show. Like if you want to go with the, the top GMs in the sport, however, if that's um, from like a numbers and an analytics standpoint, if that's Andrew Friedman and his crew in LA, or maybe the Rays uh, front office, maybe you're a big fan in, in San Francisco. I think far anxiety is unbelievable. Like, is it that different there uh, in the success that uh, I should say, let me ask the question differently. Would they have had a lot more success here over the last few years than the Rizzo group has without the big league team spending or not? I don't think so, but maybe their system would have been better. Maybe they would have drafted better. Uh, we've seen Rizzo do it before, before they got good. We've seen him do it here very recently. Things are looking and trending up, so we'll see. Davey is much more interesting to me because I'm. you went low. I would go medium only because like where they're at in their build. I don't think you're ready to go hire your culture changer championship winner. And I always, I don't know if it has to be this way, but I always notice that it's this way with baseball. Um, you think about like the Orioles for a long time had Dave Tremblay as their manager, and then they eventually blew him out and brought in Buck Showalter. Like there's always that guy who like uh, the Pirates had, I think his name was like John Russell for years. They blow him out and they go get Clint Hurdle. Like you bring in your, um, your dusty baker to the Astros. Maybe that's a bad example, but you know, you, you bring someone in when you're ready to win the world series that like put you over the top manager, right? The Joe Madden to the Cubs kind of guy or whatever. And uh, I don't know. I, I think, I don't think they're ready to do that. Like if you go get a manager this off season, that's not Davey. It should be a real young guy. Who's a good instructor. Who's a good coach. Uh, and maybe they should. I will say this. If it was up to me, if we're playing owner, Toby, and I've talked way too long, so I want to tag you back in. But if if we if if I'm playing owner, I am making changes to this staff. I don't think that the team has been bad this year. They're overachieving, and and so maybe they'll keep everybody. But I just you know I would really want a young, forethinking staff. You know, pitching coach who's been at some college program churning out arms, Vanderbilt or or you know, Tennessee or something like I just want I'd go to Wake Forest where they got the best pitching lab in the country and I'd pluck in a, someone off their staff to be in my pitching department, if not a pitching coach. Like those are the types of things I would be doing right now. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to keep Davey in that sort of sense, like you're laying out where he's going to stick around for a year, two years, at most three years. Yeah, maybe years, a two-year deal. I'm totally fine with that. The reason I say low is I just don't think that Davey, even though he's won a World Series, so you can't say that he's not a World Series manager, I just don't feel like he elevates the play of the team. So, you know, in two, three years, four years, when they're competitive again, hopefully, I don't want him managing the ball club. That being said, if this is the same sort of thing that we're doing this year and he's doing it next year, I don't hate it. I think that he does a good job with that, but I completely agree with the staff. Like, I think you really need to evaluate the entire staff. If you want to go into Davey and Rizzo as well, that's fine, but you need to evaluate everything and figure out exactly what the plan is going forward. And, you know, I think you need to take a look at the development, make sure you're doing the right job there. Make sure you got the right coaches and all the minor league levels. I think that there's a lot of evaluating that needs to be done because of the struggles, especially in the farm system, basically over the last six, seven, eight years. So I don't have an issue with taking a look at that. And then looking at the big league staff, I, again, I think that everyone is open to being evaluated. I don't know that, you know, you can't point to a specific Darnell Coles is making them suck at the plate. I don't know that you can point to that and say that same thing with Jim Hickey. I don't know that you can say that, He's either helping or holding pitchers back this at this point in the season or at this point, you know, in his career in Washington. So I don't know. But I think that realistically, you need to evaluate all those guys. The problem is, if you're trying to evaluate those guys, Rizzo's the guy that needs to evaluate them. So if you're going to keep Rizzo long term, that's great. Let him make the decisions. If you're not, then you need to find a guy to bring in here pretty much as, qu as quickly as possible to evaluate what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, I think the other question in terms of the coaching staff eval has to be, are the guys that matter the most peaking or uh, maximizing their talent, right? Are they peaking as the year goes on and getting better, in other words? Are they ascending? I mean, C.J. Abrams obviously is, right? There's no doubt. I've seen Ricky Gutierrez get a bunch of shine for some of the work he's done with him defensively that they're very, very happy with. He's improved immensely defensively, and obviously we talk about it every week. You know, he has been outstanding offensively over the last several weeks. Uh, has Kbert Ruiz gotten better? I would say no in terms of defense behind the plate and like framing and some of those things. Now, somebody smarter than me with the Nationals might be able to point some things out. I'm just digging in on the numbers that I can see from the outside looking in, and they're not particularly good. So how is the catching instruction? Um, is it just that, you know, you're trying to make – filet mignon at hamburger helper is it just is he never going to be able to throw guys out and frame well and, and have a low pop time um or, or is is the instruction not as good as it could be i mean he is sixth percentile in framing third percentile in pop time this year last year k barrett ruiz in his first year with the team was 23rd percentile framer 25th percentile pop time so last year he was bad but it wasn't this bad um so, you know, th those are the types of things I'm looking at. Um, uh, on the pitching side, Josiah Gray, we've talked about he's made strides. Like, he's definitely better and and has improved and changed pitches. But if you look at the underlying numbers, it's not like it's night and day or he's made a massive leap, really. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of his development and where he's at. But could he be developing faster and more? I don't know. I I'm just talking out loud. I'm not even making – um, declarations as much as I'm asking questions. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, I, I really like what I've seen him encouraged, but I don't know that he's pitching better late here in the year than he was early in the year. Is that fatigue? You know, it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be a, a slope where it's just straight up, but 
I guess I'm maybe just reaffirming or confirming some of my priors where I didn't love the idea of Hickey. It's just a familiar thing. Like he and Davey know each other from the Rays and he's been around. I really would like to go young and I don't want to use the word sharp because Hickey might be the sharpest guy in baseball, but you know, just some up and coming forethinking guy. And, uh, and we'll say, I, I doubt they will. Cause it seems like they have the, the guys that they like. You can't necessarily completely argue with the results because I think you and I would agree. Like you'd sign up for this year from Gore so far. I'd sign up for this year from Gray, from CJ. Um, Ruiz, I'm not worried about it all. Hit another home run in, in Philadelphia and has done some really good things at the plate compared to last year. I just I don't see him getting better defensively. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's not encouraging what I've seen defensively. You know, haven't seen it as much lately with teams running, but there was a point in the season where any guy that got on first base, they were just taking off, and there was never a doubt that they were going to be safe on the steal attempt. So I'd like to see him improve. And I think the point that we're trying to make here is we're not necessarily making assumptions and saying all these guys should be gone or anything. We're not necessarily saying they're bad, they're good. We're just saying the Nationals, whoever is going to make those decisions, needs to take a look at it. You know, that's something that I think this offseason they need to evaluate. And I think that they're going to have a better understanding of what they're seeing, what development they've seen, because they're obviously with the guys every day. But from what we've seen. And let me just say this, too. I mean, the reason I even bring it up and we're talking about this is if we're talking about Davey's future, in some ways, Davey's got a staff that he likes and he wants. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, you're deciding this offseason if you're bringing him back or not. One of the things back in the day I would always say about Rizzo is you can't get rid of Rizzo even if you want to because his whole staff has been so successful for years. At that point, they had the best system and they've done a great job drafting and all that. And, And the same thing when you're evaluating a manager like Davey. Do you really, you know, want to keep uh, this pitching coach or hitting coach or this person or that person that he wants here? If if you want to go in a different direction in a few spots, is it just a time to rip off the Band-Aid? Like, I think that's a fair conversation that they need to have at the end of this year. It's interesting to talk about it this way, Tobes, because they have been good enough. Like, they lost 100 games again and stunk like they did last season and played terrible defense and got blown out all the time. It'd be super easy for me and you to come on here and just say, all right, you don't need to bring Rizzo back or Davey back or the staff back. Maybe we'd say bring Rizzo back because the the rebuild's still going well, but you get my point. That hasn't been the case, though. Like, they're playing pretty good ball. They're super competitive. They, They got a chance if they win as we tape this thing to win, you know, 13 of their last 20. They would be number one in the division over 20 games. Like things are going fine, and in a lot of ways, I think they've actually been better than people thought. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a case to be made as well that, you know, if you're a one that believes that they've started to turn things in the right direction, don't change anything up now, I think there's an argument to be made for that. And I think there's an argument the other way as well if you want to try to move on and try something new as well. So I think that either side, I think you're justified. I think that the much easier one to say that should stick around, and I think most Nationals fans would be on board with is Mike Rizzo because – You know, I think you have a longer track record and a guy that has found a way to build a World Series winner. Now he's kind of going back to step one and rebuilding. And, you know, at least you know that if the Nationals get to a point where they're competitive for a World Series again, you have a guy in charge that can build a roster that's ready to do it. At the same point, Davey knows how to manage a clubhouse and get those guys ready to go and competitive. And they fight every single day, whether they're the 2019 team that's fighting to win a World Series or this team that's 
basically fighting not to lose 100 games. So I think there's, you know, pros and cons to both guys. But, you know, I think that either way they go, it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do. And, I mean, it's very pressing this offseason what they're going to decide to do. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is it depends, too, on if they're sold or not. Right. I mean, that probably matters more than anything. I would just say, and it sounds like you and I agree on this. I think Rizzo's better at being a GM than Davey is at managing. Right. Rizzo as a GM on a one to 10 scale for me is like an eight. And Davey is probably like a, you know, a five. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of just how I feel. And I'm I'm not anti Davey by any means, but I think he's kind of, you know, replacement level average. We've sung his praises and I've talked about they don't win the 19 World Series without him and how incredible he was that year. And as you said, that postseason. And I just think he's one of the most positive, decent, you know, legitimately warm, great people that these guys enjoy being around and, and they're better for it. They're overachieving this year for it. So you give them credit for that. Uh, I just think you can you can find guys that are similar level or, or certainly better managers um, and ideally, they have that people element to them, too, that he has uh, really, I think, done so well with. Um, but I think that's a good enough breakdown. Now, on the the ownership thing, I will say um, I'm a little concerned <laughs> about them selling. I mean, when the Masson news came down several weeks ago that there was a breakthrough and that some money was being paid out to the Nats, that was obviously taken as a huge thing. And maybe a a success story toward a sale. Here's why I'm a little nervous though. Okay. Mark Lerner is back in. I mean, he seems Mm -hmm. to really be invested again. I told the story on the pod last year where I bumped into him. In fact, I think I was with you, Darius. Uh, We were at Nats park. I think weren't we in the Nats park and in the Terra club or something. And we bumped into Lerner. We were. Yeah. Uh, don't don't recall what game that was so long ago, but um, but yeah, it was kind of surreal. We just randomly <laughs> walked into him. Uh, he was coming uh, into the Terror Club just as we were going out to our seats, and right. And when you walk up, you say, "Hey, what's up, Mark?" <laughs> was so he was cool. just like chilling. But he, I said, "Hey, I just went down and saw James Wood play in Fredericksburg," and he may have just been appeasing me and being friendly. But he's like, "Oh, really?" He's like, oh, "What'd you think? How'd he look?" Or whatever. I said, "I got a video," and he's like, "Oh, let me see it." So I'm showing him the video of like his first game in Fredericksburg when he doubled or whatever. And he was talking about him. And then someone from the Nats came and dragged him away knowing I was in the media and, you know, you don't want me talking to him or whatever. (laughs) I wasn't getting a scoop. I was just trying to talk to the guy about James Wood. But I'd say this to tell you that like he is still around the ball club. He still goes to games. He still cares and watches every night. He was sitting knee to knee in front of Mike Rizzo during the draft. And when Rizzo called Dylan Cruz the number two pick, you could hear Mark Lerner and on, see him on the video the Nats put out, like high five and Rizzo, and then taking the phone to like talk to the guy or whatever. Like owners that don't care and are selling are not doing that. When Dan Snyder was selling the Commanders, his office was cleaned out for months. He was not at the draft. He wasn't even on video for the draft because he knew he was selling the team. He didn't care anymore. Um, Rizzo on was the junkies a- on on one hundred six seven the fan this week said that he drove to see Dylan Cruz's first mm-hmm. game on Saturday night, which you and I were at, mm-hmm. with Mark Lerner. He said, me and Mark rode down to, to Fredericksburg. So as someone who really wants the learners to sell this team, because they clearly don't want to spend and, and do what it takes to field the, the roster that I need anymore, that worries me. Now, I have been told that Mark's pretty much the only family member that's like that invested and all in and really wanting to do it. And his 
uh, sister, I guess it is, is, is not that way in her husband. And so maybe there is a, a big difference and, and maybe ultimately he'll lose out. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out as, is anyone else noticing that Mark Lerner seems to be caring yeah. a lot about owning the team now? Cause I, I really would prefer them just to sell. Yeah. I mean, I definitely noticed that he was down there. I, I didn't see him personally, but I saw some pictures on, on Twitter that he had gone down to Fredericksburg to see Dylan Cruz debut. And those are the sort of things, the little extra things that make you think that he's all bought back in again, because showing up to Nats park is one thing, but showing up in Fredericksburg to see, your number one draft pick make his debut and those sort of things shows that you've got that extra level of commitment. So we'll see, you know, it'd be great if they were able to be sold on the counter side though, Grant, I brought it up before their payroll is going to be minuscule coming forward. Maybe they'd be willing to open the checkbook a little bit. Once Corbin's contract comes off the books, I know that's kind of wishful thinking maybe at this point, but I mean, I think there's maybe a possibility they can still spend some cash, even if the learners keep the team. But I guess we'll get to see here in just a couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to, right? If they spend, uh, excuse me, if they keep the team, they have to spend. And, and they will. I just, will they ever spend like they used to? I'm not sure. But obviously, it would probably be but you know, somewhere between what they do now and what well, they do. And their I, I think this also, too, just shows how much it sucked when the Nationals won the World Series. Obviously, you're not going to regret winning the World Series, but winning it in 19, not ever getting to really celebrate it all season long in the 20 season with fans at the ballpark. Like, I wonder how much, obviously the pandemic hurts your bottom line as a business. That makes, we all know that. But how much did it hurt as well that they won the World Series and then never got to really capitalize off of all that? They could sell their merch online, but people weren't packing the ballpark in 2020. And then by the time that people got back into the ballpark in 2021, they'd missed it in 20 and weren't the same ball club that everyone fell in love with in 19. So, you know, I think that also hurt them. That really sucks that that's the case. Obviously we wouldn't trade 2019 for the world, but I mean, you got to look at that and that kind of hurt them as well. Long gone. All right, let's get to the minor leagues and to MLB Pipeline's new top 100 prospects list that they put out. They re-ranked all the organizations finally with the draft players added. And for the Nationals, they have dropped Dylan Cruz in as the new number one prospect ahead of James Wood with Brady House third in the system and injured right-hander Cade Cavalli and Elijah Green your remainder of the top five. Six through ten is a pretty big shakeup as well. Dalen Lyle, who was one of the biggest movers up the board in any system, according to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, all the way up to six in the Nats system. So this is my guy that I've been talking about all season, Tobe. We've covered him well on this pod. He's finally getting love here. Yoani Morales, the number seven prospect in the system, was the University of Miami third baseman. They just drafted in the second round uh, in the 40th pick. You and I both saw him this weekend and uh, go back and listen to the last pod for our takeaways on Morales. He was uh, really impressive at third base. Robert Hassel has moved down the board to eight. Uh, he's at double A where he's homered in each of the last two games. He's really broken out. I tweeted this tonight, but he had two homers in his first 51 games this season in the minors. He's got six homers in his last 39 games. I think it is now. And then rounding out the top 10, Christian Vaccaro, who's in rookie ball, an 18-year-old who they spent a bunch of money on internationally last year. And Jake Bennett, the lefty, they drafted in the second round out of the same high school in the same college, Oklahoma. 
as his former teammate Cade Cavalli is number 10 in the system. His numbers this year, the 22-year-old lefty, were awesome. Uh, he was just cruising through a ball. Uh, he hasn't pitched in a while, though, and the Nats haven't really commented on what's going on with him. But a 170 RA, 56 innings, 70 strikeouts, 218 average again. So that's your top 10. Uh, Travis Socorro, who they just drafted and paid a bunch of money to at a high school in uh, rookie ball soon enough. Um, 11, Yarlin Susan at 12, Jackson Rutledge 13. Trey Lipscomb has been on an absolute tear into the uh, top 14 now. And Kevin Made, who they acquired from the Cubs with DJ Hers, are ranked 15 and 16, respectively. Yeah, I think it's interesting seeing Elijah Green still at five. I know some people are really down on him, but you know it's nice to see him there. Hopefully he can get back to Fredericksburg soon so you can at least see some of that. But really cool to see Dalen Lyle get that jump, someone that we've talked about plenty on the podcast. And I think he deserved that jump, and now you're getting to see some of that recognition. The guy I want to keep an eye out for that – He's had a couple of homers in the last couple of games here as we tape here on Thursday night. Robert Hassel, he's down at number eight for the team. You know, we, we've talked about him a ton, so I don't want to spend too, too much time on him. But if he can get back to being that solid floor guy that we all expected when they traded for him, that could be an extra boost that really has kind of fallen off this season. You know, getting Cruz and Wood to be one and two, and I believe number four and number seven in the top 100 overall. They're obviously going to be the stars, but if you can get an extra outfielder that's Robert Hassel, that's the solid floor guy that you know can be a bottom of the lineup or top of the order type bat that just hangs around for a while and comes back and bees the guy that is the guy that we thought he was going to be when they traded for him out of San Diego. I think that would be nice to see this season as well. But again, I think the big one, like you mentioned, the guy that got the biggest jump is Dalen Lyle, and it's really cool to see that he's getting the recognition that really we've tried to give him as much as we could here on Boston Lose Baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's just indicative of if you produce enough in the minor leagues, people are going to take notice. Another guy that went way up the board, you know, lesser in that he's in the middle of the pack from the top 30. But uh, how about the little engine who could here? Jake Alou, who's yeah. starting at the big league level at third base as a 26-year-old, now up to 17 uh, in the system. Cole Henry, who I always root for and pull for in the top 20 still, but it fell to 19 ahead of uh, Andrew Pinckney, who's the player of the league. A week in A ball, hitting over 420 with a 700 slug and a 1200 OPS to start his career, fourth round pick uh, out of Alabama. But yeah, Hassel has really come on and is starting to hit for more power, which is huge to see. I know they were getting frustrated and just wanted to see some of that impact damage production that they knew he he was capable of, and, and they're going to want him to go lift and get bigger and, and more physically imposing, I'm sure, and, and hit more, not just home runs, but you know, hit more pitches middle of the plate he could do damage with and get those good swings off at the right time uh, going into next season and what will be obviously his final time in the minors and, and eventually um, into the big leagues sometime next year. Um, just trying to think of some other uh, notable things here uh, with Dylan Cruz. He did Homer. We talked about that. Uh, he subsequently hit a grand slam since we taped our last pod. So Homer in two of his first three uh, pro games. He's now added a couple games the last few nights to the ledger. So it's two out of five total. Um, Wood has actually gone deep in back-to-back -back games as we tape on Thursday, hit a homer on Wednesday and on Thursday. So he's up to 20 home runs despite playing Toby at two affiliates where you really got to crush the ball to get it out. I mean, that's a, you know, mid thirties, like a 33, 34 home run pace basically at the big league level. 
and it's not like he's playing in hitter friendly parks. So, I, you know, I know he's had some strikeout issues. The K rate has gone way up and there's some more swing and miss than we thought. He's, he's up to almost 130 strikeouts this year, which is fairly alarming. That said, you know, the, the home run power that he's displayed at those ballparks is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's got easy power. You just see him one time and realize how big he is. I mean, his first home run at Double A, we got to see a buoy and seemed like a nice, soft, easy swing, and he hit just an absolute moonshot that not many people can hit. So the power is very obvious with him. If he can continue to work on things and make sure he doesn't strike out too much, obviously that'd be ideal, but the power is never going to be a question with James Wood. Uh, let's see what else. Brady House, you mentioned, is into the top 50 at 46, I believe it was. Am I right about that? Uh, I believe it's 43. I'll double-check for you. Okay, 43 in the top 50. Um, Lakewood is 20. You're younger than Cruz, who's 21. Um, I think all three of these guys will be on the same team at some point in the minors uh, next year, assuming James Wood doesn't graduate too quickly. But what I'm hoping for is – if Dylan Cruz can put together a week or two um, this year where he just shines and really looks like he's figured it out in some way, no, ideally um, you'd be able to move him really quick at the start of next season. And, and perhaps he and Wood and House could all be in AAA together, you know, in the first half of the season at some point waiting for a call. Um, but House is what a year he's had a 312 average with an 870 OPS for him this season. And just, he's got 70 uh, sub 70 strikeouts, you know, nine home runs. His power is still coming in game. He shows it off in batting practice. Cavalli, who's just had a lost season with the injury will be back next year. And what an addition he'll be, you know, in that rotation with gray and with Gore, with what we've seen. And, you know, who knows, maybe Jake Irvin, uh, is in the rotation at that point by the end of the year, perhaps Jake Bennett is added to the mix. Um, they're in a good place there. Lyle's further away, 20 years old and an A-plus ball, but he'll be the next wave with Yoandi Morales, perhaps, and uh, and Christian Vaquero. You know, at some point here soon, I'd like to think he'll get to Fredericksburg to finish the summer out. Maybe when they bump up, you know, Cruz and a couple of the guys there, he, he could go to A-ball and start playing. Uh, but he gets on base a lot. And his on-base percentage is almost 400, his OPS 775 in rookie ball right now. Yeah, the one guy I want to talk about is Brady House. We sometimes we mention him a lot on this podcast, but sometimes it's almost like an afterthought because of how cool it is to have Dylan Cruz in a Nats uniform and how awesome it is to see the majestic home runs you see from James Wood. But Brady House, pretty much since he's been drafted, all he's done is hit when he's healthy. When he's not healthy, it's an issue, and that's part of why he dropped out of the top 100 at the beginning of the season because of his struggles with injuries last year and you know his numbers while he was dealing with those injuries. But now you're seeing him healthy again. That's going to be the main thing. I think getting him through here is making sure you can keep him healthy all the way to the major leagues because all he's done since he's been healthy is hit. If he can stay healthy, you know this is a guy that has lots of potential at third base to really help out this team. So I think the big thing for Brady House as we continue on here is manage his health, be extra careful with him, make sure you can keep him healthy so that way he doesn't have setbacks if he has injuries, and just keep him healthy. And I think that you'll see this guy in the majors pretty soon, and I think he's going to be a stud for this team. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm just texting with someone here and was asking, when's the last time the Nats have had three top 50 prospects? Um, and this is someone who's got all kinds of good intel and nuggets on the Nationals when I need it. 
And they said 2016, uh, Giolito, Trey Turner, Victor Robles were all in the top 35. Mm. Um, so it's been that long. You're talking about seven years. Now, you look back at that time, and obviously they flipped Giolito. Turner became a star, and Robles was a disappointment. So I guess you could you know, assume that that could happen again. One guy may not pan out, but I just thought that was interesting. It's been seven years since they had three guys in the top 50. Yeah, and one thing, I'm trying to find this because I tweeted it out a couple of days ago. One thing that I thought was crazy was they were looking back at the top prospects. Here it is. Fangraph's top five prospects in 2018. Number one was Shohei Otani. Number two, Ronald Acuna. Number three, Vlad Jr. Number five was Fernando Tatis. And number four was one Victor Robles. It's like, how did Victor, Victor was up there with those guys? It's it's obviously been disappointing with what Victor's become, but kind of crazy to look back and see those sort of things. But yeah, first time in a long time, Grant, that this team has had that caliber, that number of that caliber of prospect in this organization. So exciting times for the Nats. Why has it been disappointing, Toby? I think he's on par with those guys, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's in the same conversation as Shohei. <laughs> yeah, I would I would redo the list now because Robles is probably more like second, you know, behind Shohei and then Acuna is a little bit behind him. Vladdy after that. Yeah, I think that's probably more like what the list. Who am I forgetting? Who was the other guy in the top five there? Uh, Vlad Jr., Ronald Acuna, yeah. uh, Fernando Tatis. Oh, Tatis. Yeah, he'd be fifth because Robles is second for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm kidding because I care. Zoom. Uh, all right, to the comments we go. I said we were due to read some of these, so let's do it. Uh, Seamheads said, and by the way, if you want to leave us a comment, rating, review, uh, we will read your comment. We are not above it. We will shout you out, whatever you want us to say. Um, one, two, three, four, five, Z, I guess, is the uh, person who did this. It says, Seamheads, any chance you could give up an update? On the Dominican system, doesn't seem like there are any MLB prospects coming from the DR anymore. I saw one of the beat reporters mention that the DSL squad was getting crushed in competition. Yeah, they were off to a historically terrible, like, bad news bears before the music montage kind of start. I want to <laughs> say they were, like, 1-17 in 17 at one point or something crazy. Um, now it's a little more competitive. They're 10-32, and 32, but they're a bad team. They tied their game today 2-2. Two to two. There's one prospect on that team top of my head, Andy Acevedo, who actually hit a home run today, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, not a particularly high-end, like, impact prospect by any means, but just a guy that I would say is of note. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those guys, I, I'll be frank, I don't know nearly as much about them, but there's not a lot of players uh, that have come through the, the DSL this year or even last year other than maybe Vaquero that I was told. I, sh I should just say this year more than anything because there were guys last year I was interested in. But, yeah, it's been pretty bleak, and it's not a system right now where when I go through the minor league box scores every day, I'm not spending much time on the DSL Nats. I start you know, in the FCL and see what Christian Vaquero did. Then I go to Fredericksburg. Um, that affiliate has changed a lot. But right now you got Cruz who went two for four with a run scored and a double tonight. Uh, you got Yoani Morales who went three for four with a run scored and a double. You got Andrew Peakney who went three for uh, two for four with a, a run scored who's hitting 424. Morales, by the way, is hitting 360. Uh, Royce Mark Quintana, one for three with a run batted in. 
Uh, he had a huge game this week. He's in the top 30. Then you go to Wilmington and, and you look at what De La Rosa and Jared McKenzie and TJ White are doing. And then obviously at Wilmington, we've talked about Dalen Lyle. That's where Kevin Mata is, who they just got from the Cubs. That's where Jeremy De La Rosa is, who's in the middle of the top 30, went one for three tonight. And then at Harrisburg, you know, that's probably the most competitive and fun place for the, the system right now, Tobes, with Hassel, Lipscomb, Wood, House, you know, all on some nights hitting two through five in the order. Uh, Israel Pineda is interesting. Um, you know, they, they've gotten some strong pitching performances this season. AAA is not quite as interesting from a prospect standpoint, but I've been tracking Luis Garcia, Carter Keyboom. Won't be long before Darren Baker, Dusty Sun gets called up, who's there. Um, so that's kind of the way I go about the minor leagues. Hopefully that is a little info on the, the DSL group. Yeah, the DSL is not great. They're 10 and 32. And right now, looking at their box score from yesterday, because it looks like they had a rainout or something after two innings today, the leading guys in batting average are 245, 245, 242, which is fine. Everyone else is sub 200. Oh, good. <laughs> So <laughs> it doesn't make you feel real great. But I think the the ones to check out, the Fred Nats, like you mentioned, obviously you got to check out what's going on there. You get Dylan Cruz and a bunch of the guys they drafted this year. But checking out what they're doing in Harrisburg, I think, is the number one thing going on right now because they got a lot of future big leaguers on that team. And obviously starting with Wood and House, but you can see how Hassel's doing. Trey Lipscomb continues to do fantastic. So I think checking out those box scores, specifically Harrisburg and Fredericksburg, those are the ones to check right now. Kemp's 0724 says these guys are great because they have a lot of passion for the Nats, and this is hard, and that is hard during the rebuild stage. They keep it interesting, and I love it. What a sweetheart you are, Kemp's. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. That's very nice of you. Win8D says way better than mid no cap. This is a young person. This must be a young person. That or they're playing a joke on me. It says Nationals baseball fans, this is a must. Thank you very much for the Appreciate sweet it. review. We love you. Uh, KNJB3 says, great show, attainable future goals. What do you think realistic goals should be for the next few seasons? In my mind, I think the season, uh, this season, it's try to lose – Fewer than 100 times. 2024 should be to get to 500. 2025 should be a legit wildcard contender. Also, would love to know who new rules around rookies and extra first-round picks might impact decisions on being uh, uh, bringing up our top prospects. So I think he's saying on how the new rules are going to affect what they do with their prospects. So let's start with um, – uh, let's just start with your thought, your answer to his first question there, Toby. Yeah, I mean, I think those aren't terrible goals. I think that getting to 500 might be a little hard next season, so I think that might be a little unrealistic, but I think it is something that if they want to set that goal, it's not incredibly uh, too far-fetched. And I think that we talked about this before. I think that a timeline of being competitive in 2025 is very realistic, and so you know, if it's something where they build next season up to a point where they're close to 500, and maybe then the following season they could look at being a wild card team. So I don't think either of those are too far fetched. I think those are, you know, lofty goals a little bit, but at the same point, you shouldn't set goals that are easily achievable because then that's not really <laughs> striving for anything. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I guess for me, I, I care less about the win loss record and more about the, uh, you know, I sound like a, a 
I work for the, you know, in the front office or something, but I'm more a process guy than a results guy. Right. I just am. That's just how I am. So I guess to answer his question, I, I would like to see them win 70 or more games this year. I would like to see them win over 75 games, you know, maybe 77 games next year. And then I think two seasons from now, you should be in the playoff mix in September at the end of the year. And it would be a disappointment potentially, depending on the roster they're able to put together if you're not in the playoffs. Because I think next year at some point, hopefully a year from now, in the middle of August, James Woods in the big leagues, Dylan Cruz is in the big leagues. I'm not saying they've been there for months, but, you know, within a couple of weeks maybe uh, of having gotten there. James Wood is there. Dylan Cruz is there. Brady House is there. Or by the start of September, at least, all three of those guys could and should be there. And and then ideally the following year, you know, you've gone through some growing pains and you're able to start putting it together. You supplement that with, you know, money that you spend. That is, a, you're allowed to do that. So you go out and you get some free agent additions. Maybe it's a big bat at first. Maybe it's a corner hitting outfielder who can drive the ball and, and play some DH, like Kyle Schwarber type, you know, in 2024 or whatever, 2025. But, yeah, I think that's realistic. Um, and I like kind of what he laid out. Um, I, you know, 500 next year is bullish, but not if they spend money on a pit. Like, let's say Ted Leonsis buys the team. He runs it this offseason. He wants to make a little bit of a splash. They spend on a good starting pitcher. Um, maybe they they spend some money on the bullpen and they get a bat who might help hit 25 home runs. Now, all of a sudden, if James Wood comes up and and performs or if Dylan Cruz comes up and takes the league by storm and, and you get, you know, a, a 22-year-old who's a rookie of the year candidate, that's now all of a sudden you might win 78, 79 games. I mean, it's not crazy. It would have felt like it was a year ago. I think there's now at least a path to that, even if it's more realistic uh, that we'd be a little bearish and say, you know, you take the under on that next year. Last thing on on the rules and how it'll affect things. I mean, you, you, I don't know that next year it's going to matter because like Dylan Cruz will not be big league ready out of camp. Um, I think based on how many times he struck out and some of the swing adjustments still needed here for James Wood. Um, I think he's going to need time at AAA next year for them to feel comfortable. The, the rules have changed to that. Like the Orioles kept Gunnar Henderson in the show to start the year, and they might get a draft pick out of it. Like the, the Mariners got with uh, Julio Rodriguez this year in the first round because rather than send him to the minors last year, they kept him in the big leagues all year. He won rookie of the year. So basically what, what the he's referring to is if you have a really high-end prospect, it's in the top 50 according to, all, you know, I think they use Baseball America Pipeline and maybe the Athletic with Law, Keith Law or ESPN with Kylie or something. If the average of those, you know, prospect rankings, say they're a top 50 prospect, they start the year in the big leagues, you don't send them down, and then they win rookie of the year, you get gift wrapped a, a first round pick, essentially. Um, there are some other rules, but I won't bore anyone. But I, I don't know that it's going to, the stars align, that it's really going to affect them next spring. Is what I'll yeah, say. yeah, I don't think it'll affect them next spring. The only question I'd have is if a guy is borderline, would you just have them hang out, you know, in the minors for and have them in 2025, you know, assuming maybe something happens with Brady House or, you know, Wood isn't taking the strides that you like. Maybe they consider that. I don't think they would because Rizzo's pretty aggressive. And I think he's looking at 2025 as that timeline we're talking about of being competitive and hopefully a playoff team once again. It is something, though, you'd have to consider maybe if if you get to August and a guy hasn't been called up yet and so maybe that's something they consider. I doubt it, but I don't think I just, it affects I think them. it's too hard to assume. That, I mean, yeah. 
you know, assuming a guy's going to win rookie of the year, it's it's too hard, right? I mean, I yeah, I follow the minors every year and pick rookie of the year every year, and you know, I get them right probably, you know, I don't know, twenty percent of the time. I mean, it's, it's really yeah. like this year. I thought Jordan Walker might be the guy. Yeah, he, he got I, sent down, and you know, Corbin Carroll left him in his wake, right? So, not to say he wasn't one of the favorites. I think he was probably, if not the betting favorite, second. But um, you know, this year is actually rare because two of the household names, Henderson and Walker, might end up winning the awards. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there's any way you can, you know, try to do that. I think you go about your business as usual, and then if it happens, it happens. Awesome. But otherwise, I think just go about your business as usual. Call up the guys when you think they're ready. All right, Toby, you get the final thought. Yeah, I mean, it's just an exciting time to be a Nationals fan with these things going on in the minor leagues. It's not great getting no hit with the big league ball club. It's not ever fun having that happen. Obviously, the first time for the Nats, but I feel like, you know, I say this quite often on those podcasts, but it's an exciting time to be a Nationals fan with the guys that are in the minor league system that continue to show out. And we've seen it over the last week where Cruz is homering, Woods homering, Hassel's homering. And obviously you got plenty of other guys coming through the system as well to get excited about. And then you have that with the growth of CJ Abrams and, you know, maybe not the last couple of weeks, but you still have some growth from gray and Gore. It's a lot of things going right for the Nationals, and it's exciting that now we can look into the future and see a timeline that isn't too far out for this team to be competitive again, which isn't something that I think many people would have said going into this year, and especially before that Soto trade. So it's a good time to be a Nats fan right now. It is, and I look forward to the boys getting back home here to Nationals Park where they've been so good. What up, Derek? Uh, So actually, I, I got a little funny story. Uh, this kind of goes to the point of what Toby was saying about how it's an exciting time right now, being able to follow these prospects and and see that. Is this the one you told me earlier today? Yeah, this is the story I told you earlier. I, I, I figured it's really funny. It kind of goes well with what Toby was saying. So I had a buddy uh, hit me up earlier today, and he texted me. He says, our prospect is going from our minor league team is going to be a problem. Now, this is a friend of mine. He's a sports fan, but he's not really a hardcore baseball fan. He's more football and, and basketball. By Just the way, does he, I wonder after hearing that, does he think there's one team in the minor leagues <laughs> rather than like several affiliates? We're gonna we're gonna have to have a conversation with my with yes. my buddy here because <laughs> uh, because this this helps me know that he's willing to learn. So I said, which one? We've got a lot of top prospects who are going to be really good. He says, I think his name is Jose, <laughs> and, and then uh, he he eventually got back to me and said, nope, never mind. It was Rosamar Quintana. I think he plays for the Fredericksburg now. <laughs> He's a scout. Your boy is on Royce Mark Quintana more yeah. than we are. Love and it. He, he posted a uh, a highlight from uh, from the ninth where he had a four hit game uh, for Fredericksburg. So I, I guess it was just one of those things. He came across it on Twitter, saw it, and was like, "Oh man, he he plays for uh, the Nationals minor league team. He's going to be really good." But to your point, though, uh, I, I think that's. That's a part of it. You see, you see these kinds of things. You're scrolling on Twitter and other social media sites, and and you see highlights of these young prospects. It, it, it gets people excited, even casual fans such as my my buddy. That is fun. <laughs> Love you, Mike. <laughs> well, we need Mike to be a correspondent for the show. We should send him to Harrisburg to give yeah, us a report. Well, Grant and I cover the top 15 prospects pretty well. He can carry the uh, the rest of the prospects for us. Yeah, there you go. He, I actually, when, when the top 100 list came out, I sent it to him. I said, 
this is who you need to keep an eye out eye out on. And he said, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking for some of these guys. So he's on his hear, way. He's on his way to learning about this. I want to hear his breakdown on Armando Cruz after his big game tying grand slam for the Fred Nats last week. All right, for Darius, for Toby, I'm Grant saying so long. And until we are back with you, we're going to record on Monday. You'll have a Tuesday AM podcast waiting for you. Enjoy Nats baseball.